We talk about the four R's when having these conversations. You receive information, asking questions is the first. Second is repeat it back to them so that they know that they've been heard, that you know exactly what their issue is. And then you respond. If you know, you know the science answer to respond to, great. If not, that's okay too. Just however you respond, maybe it's with empathy, maybe it's, well, let's look at those sources. Where did you read that? Oftentimes, you know, people will admit it's something they've read on social media. And so maybe if you can help direct that person to more credible sources of information, they will feel more confident about taking the vaccine. And then make sure you refer them to proper uh, sources of information, whether, you know, that's the CDC, OHA, Boost Oregon, Welcome to The David Paul Show, hosted by David Paul, founder of Dial Smith and Lillian Labs, and the creator of Behavioral Storytelling. If you're looking for compelling conversations with some curious characters, you've come to the right place. Hey everyone, thanks for joining us. In this episode, I'm talking with Nadine Gartner, founding executive director of Boost Oregon. My team and I recently got to work with Nadine and her team on crafting and testing messages to address hesitancy around getting the COVID-19 vaccine. Boost Oregon was born from Nadine's frustration with the lack of availability of science-based facts around vaccinations and her observation that people were making critical decisions based on fear and false or misleading information. Boost Oregon's mission is to empower people to make science-based vaccine decisions for themselves, their families, and the community. They work toward this through research, workshops, seminars, advocacy, and community outreach. But really, to me, this is the story of how one mom facing her own anxieties set out to make the world a better place. Nadine, welcome to the show, and thanks so much for joining us. Hi, David. Thank you so much for having me. This is a pleasure. Start us off with the origin story of Boost Oregon and how it came to be. Sure. So I don't have a medical background or a public health background. I didn't give much thought about vaccines. I was working as an attorney in Portland. I was a class action litigator for the plaintiff side. So I would represent large groups of individuals against big corporations like banks and insurance companies. So it was interesting. It would work. It was, I felt like I was fighting the good fight and liked what I was doing. And then I became pregnant with my first child and that caused girlfriends of mine who had been in my social circle for years, started asking me about my immunization plan for my child. And I was surprised by the question. Um, I had not given it much thought and I thought I would follow what the pediatrician recommends. Um, And what I learned in conversations with my girlfriends was that some of them chose not to immunize at all. Others chose to do so selectively in a spaced out manner. And these were professional women with college educations, really wonderful parents, very loving and conscientious. And so I thought, wow, there, there must be something here that I don't know. And there, um, you know, things must have been be really different from when I was a kid. So then I went online and went to Dr. Google and started researching the things that my friends had brought up. What I now know is confirmation bias, where I found information that confirmed what they were telling me. Um, I was just really shocked and overwhelmed to see so much 
so many articles, so many websites, just so much, which I now know is misinformation that really uh, came across as scientifically credible. And it took me a while, some of those websites I would read through, um, and I'm, you know, a trained attorney, I'm, I'm taught to examine text closely, and it would still take me 20 minutes on some sites to figure out that this is real bias, um, that this is not a scientific, scientifically credible website. And it, it took until about the fourth page of results, of Google results, until I found anything that spoke in favor of vaccines. And that came from the CDC and the NIH. I know in Oregon, there's a lot of, um, you know, independent thinkers who don't think much of the federal government. And so I thought, wow, if, if the only pro-vaccine messaging is coming from um, these federal entities, you know, it just made sense to me why people like my friends were believing misinformation and were looking to other sources. So I really thought there was a lack of parents' voices in this conversation. Um, ultimately, my husband and I spoke with our pediatrician and he very easily was able to tell us how the recommended schedule is what is tested and monitored. And that's what he recommends for all of his patients. He's been practicing for years. He's never seen an adverse effect with a vaccine. And then he also told us, which I think made the biggest difference, was that was the schedule that he followed for his own children. And so that really brought to my mind the disconnect between the scientific and medical community and what they think is persuasive versus non-scientific folks um, and you know how we're approaching it. Um, and I you know really realized this is such an emotionally wrought decision for parents, but the science and the doctors are not reaching parents on that emotional level. And instead, the anti-vaccine lobby has done a wonderful job at using emotion and fear to scare parents out of immunizing their children. Anyways, all of that was kind of floating in my head and I ruminated on it for a while. Um, and then I made the plunge to stop practicing law and instead create this nonprofit organization, Boost Oregon, which focuses on educating people about vaccines. Wow. And, and of course, by leaving law and starting this organization, it was, it was really a get rich quick scheme for you, right? <laughs> yeah. I joke with my husband a lot about that. Um, and I've definitely had my own hangups about the fact that, you know, I like to think of myself as a strong, independent woman. Um, and I really, uh, you know, took a big downgrade in that paycheck. So <laughs> uh, I like to think that I support the families in other ways, not so much financially these days, but the work that I do is really meaningful. And I, I love what I do. So um, thankfully, we can make it work. <laughs> yeah. What's interesting to me about the way you described it is it doesn't sound like you are specifically trying to convince people to vaccinate their children. It sounds like you're really focused on making sure that they can make the best decision for themselves, but make it based on real factual information. And that's a big difference from a lot of organizations that are the opposite of anti-vaxxers who are just pushing vaccines. 100%. And that's exactly what we want parents and people to make their own decisions. But we just want to make sure you're making it on the 
correct information and not on misinformation. And that's what I thought was so overwhelming as a parent. There was so much conflicting information I was hearing from my friends versus the pediatrician versus what I was finding online. Um, and, you know, I really think what we tell people about Boost Oregon is we're not a pro-vaccine organization, we're a pro-science organization. And the science is overwhelmingly in favor of vaccines. If you poll scientists, it's well above 90% of scientists and doctors who support vaccines and support the recommended schedule. But the way, if, if you've just been you know, paying attention to traditional and social media over the last couple decades, you would think that it's more like a 50-50 balance and that the anti-vaccine viewpoint is really valid and credible. And it's, it's just not. But I think it's really easy to understand why people get misled because of the way that these issues have been framed. So... Obviously, being in the throes of COVID right now and, and COVID vaccination, this is really, I would imagine, the first major new vaccination effort that's come about in a really long time. Talk about misinformation, I think, along the COVID spectrum overall has made things really complicated and confusing for people. So um, we approached you about collaborating on a study to um, work on vaccine messaging, especially around making sure that those who are hesitant to take it have all of the information they need to make um, you know, an accurate decision. So based on where you were in the process with COVID vaccinations and COVID messaging at the time, what was going on with you when we approached you and, and how was the work that we did together helpful to your mission? Yeah. So, so much of our model, which, you know, we had been exercising for years uh, with children's vaccines, and then we had just started shifting to COVID vaccines, because when you and I met, um, the COVID vaccines had just become available, I think, within the last month or so in this country. So our model traditionally is face-to-face -face public workshops where we invited parents to come for free and spend two hours with a pediatrician to learn all about vaccines and what's in them and how they work in the body and address whatever questions the parents have. And it's been really effective because it gets people away from the computer screens and from all the conflicting information and a chance to really ask an expert and get straight answers without any sort of agenda. But what we realized with this COVID vaccine is we can't talk, we can't have an individual conversation with every Oregonian as much as we would like to do that. We don't have the resources and capacity for that. And so we knew that we, are, we were going to have to do messaging on a much broader basis and, and do some more um, of a public relations campaign, really. Um, and so we wanted to understand from you all and um, to help us see you know, what words or phrases would resonate with Oregonians, what information can we put out in a 30 second ad that would perhaps move the needle in terms of someone making the decision to accept a COVID-19 vaccine. Mm -hmm. So we really are coming to you as newbies at this sort of you know, messaging on a much broader scale, but with a much smaller context. Mm -hmm. So in working together, what were we able to uncover that was that was helpful for you? So you tested uh, two different types of messages, one that was more of a scientific approach, so sort of 
talked more about the data and the facts. And then one that was a more loving approach talked about the benefits of immunization that, you know, helping yourself, helping your community. And then you were able to test that messaging on people who were unsure about whether they would take the vaccine or not. And half of the people identified as Democrats or liberals and the other half as Republicans or conservatives. And so it was really interesting to see what parts of each message resonated with those audiences, what, you know, totally missed the mark, and to just really give us some more information about how we can approach this. I think some of the most impactful information we received from that was really understanding who these audiences trust, who would be a trusted messenger to give these messages. And the conservative folks listed their own personal position at the very top, which was really surprising to me. I thought it would really be friends and family. Um, But the fact that there is so much trust in their own individual physician was new to us and, and really useful. And now we're actually spending a lot more efforts trying to educate clinicians in more rural and conservative areas so that they can be the ones to give the message to their patients. Because we know, you know, Blue Story Day, we're a small nonprofit, we're based in Portland. If, if we enter a rural community in Oregon, people aren't going to know who we are and they're going to wonder why should we even pay attention to you, rightly so. But if they hear it from their own physician, that um, this is safe and effective and an important part of their overall wellness, that's going to resonate much more tremendously. That was one aspect that was really helpful in coming from the study. Mm-hmm. How about on the Democratic liberal side? What, what stood out to you from, uh, from the findings there? It was really interesting. I think that um, if I recall correctly, there wasn't too much of a difference between the scientific and the loving approaches. They both seemed fairly impactful. I think the scientific approach resonated more with the Democratic side than the Republican side. Um, and uh, I would also surprise me, I think they their number one trusted source of information was the CDC, um, which I, I was happy to see that. Um, you know, I think the CDC, it's not a perfect institution. No human enterprise is perfect, but it is a, it's an incredible resource. Um, and I know that it's seen by countries across the globe as a leader in science and health. It was interesting to see that they, that uh, folks on the more liberal spectrum put a trust in the CDC and um, were open to that. It made me wonder if we, you know, as a small, lo- more local grassroots organization, maybe that's not a group we need to spend too much time messaging to. Uh, the CDC has way more resources and capacity than we do. And so if their messages are being sufficient, we can spend our resources on folks that are a lar- little harder to reach, like the conservative folks. And how about any any differentiation between urban and rural or across different races? We had asked at the time when we started doing this study, it was back in January, and really the media was talking a lot about vaccine hesitancy, especially among African-American communities. And that's something we've done specific outreach to African-American communities, as well as Latino and Native American communities over the years. And each of those communities, you know, everyone um, comes to vaccine hesitancy for their own very legitimate reasons. It's um, a history of trauma, a history of mistreatment, both by medical health systems and by federal and state governments. We were, as an organization, we're very well versed in vaccine hesitancy among communities of color. 
Um, but the media was really harping a lot about the hesitancy among black communities in taking the COVID vaccine specifically. So we were curious what if, if that would come out in your study as well. And again, it was it, the lines were really much more of a liberal conservative divide. And you know whether someone was willing to take a vaccine seemed much more predict. It was more predictive knowing what their political affiliation was than what their race was. So I think that that was eye opening um, to me as well. Also, the rural urban divide. Similarly, I think your study was the first that really pointed out to us that we need to really pay attention to rural conservatives because they were expressing the most hesitancy towards the vaccine. And if we have any hope of ending this pandemic and you know returning to the way we used to live um, before March 2020. It's going to be critical that those that can be vaccinated do get vaccinated. Um, so, whereas you know, media reports earlier on this year were leading us to believe that we really needed to spend our time and resources mostly on communities of color and messaging to them about the vaccine, we realized that there was we had a big blind spot, and it was the rural conservatives. And so, we are committed to working with communities of color. We want to improve health outcomes uh, for those communities. And so we have a lot of different programs that continue on, but we are also seeking additional funding and support to be able to do this rural conservative work so that we can reach people where they are. I really want to be able to help educate people if we can on the benefits of being able to key in, like you said before, on words and phrases that really might be the pivot point of how people feel about a particular topic. So in addition to educating healthcare providers uh, in hopes that they can get the message, uh, at least the fact-based fact information through to the likes of rural conservatives, um, what other, were there any other particular findings, anything particularly nuanced that you feel might influence either PSAs or community outreach or just how you go about crafting the messages that that you're putting out here. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, coming from the study and some of the concepts that um, Gina, who uh, led the study and um, gave us the results, one thing that she said that really has stuck with me, and I've repeated it numerous times, um, for a lot of people, vaccine hesitancy is almost tied up with their identity. And so the idea that if I take this vaccine, I am somehow denying my conservative political beliefs, or I am somehow denying my religious beliefs, or I'm somehow giving into the racist history and the you know, mistreatments of this government. So the phrase that resonated really strongly with both um, conservative white people and um, African-American folks was, you don't have to trust the government. You just trust the facts, right? Um, and so this idea of pulling away the vaccine decision from all the political, um, you know, and all the historical trauma and to be able to really just focus on what is the fact. And the fact here is that this is an important tool to protect your own health and the health of your family and the broader community. Um, so that has really helped us in terms of the PSAs that we've created. Uh, you know, we um, have a version that's targeting rural Oregonians and we 
Um, it portrays a farmer talking about why it's important to him to get the vaccine. And he really talks about, you know, trust, looking at the facts, making his own decision, this idea that it's, he's thinking for himself. It's not that he's doing something just because he's being told to. He's, he's talking to his doctor and he's looking at the facts and he made the decision for himself that this was the best thing to do. So really like honing down to that level of detail helps us with the actual, you know, scripting of these PSAs. So for anyone listening who might have a friend or a family member who is hesitant, uh, what's, let, me, let me give you the floor. What's your advice for how best to communicate with those that you care about where you feel that they might be making decisions based on misinformation or simply following the herd in order to communicate with them in a way that's effective and that's not going to have them put up a wall and not want to listen at all. What, what's your advice for people on that? First and foremost, lead with empathy. You really want to come at this conversation with compassion. Um, this person isn't declining the vaccine because they want to put themselves in harm's way, or they want to risk the health of the broader community. For whatever reasons, they think right now that perhaps the vaccine isn't the right decision for them. So you want to come at it with a really open mind and be curious, ask questions. Why? What is their particular concern? Um, and then, you know, really, we talk about the four R's when having these conversations. You receive information, asking questions is the first. Second is repeat it back to them so that they know that, that they've been heard, that you know exactly what their issue is. And then you respond. If you know, you know the science answer to respond to, great. If not, that's okay too. Just what, however you respond, maybe it's with empathy, maybe it's, well, let's look at those sources. Where did you read that? Oftentimes, you know, people will admit it's something they've read on social media. And so maybe if you can help direct that person to more credible sources of information, they will feel more confident about taking the vaccine. But you never want to make up an answer. If you don't know something, don't make it up because that will just uh, undermine your credibility as soon as that person realizes that you were incorrect. And then make sure you refer them to proper uh, sources of information, whether you know that's the CDC, OHA, Boost Oregon, could be um, a variety of resources out there and really scientifically credible sources to make sure that people have access to good information. But ultimately, you know, be empathetic, empathetic and patient. It can be a tough choice for some people. And I know, you know, for others who are especially excited to take the vaccine, it may seem bananas to them that someone would hesitate. But understand that, you know, people people have their reasons and, and you need to meet them where they're at. Well, that's really good advice. I hope that helps. Um, some people. And I really want to thank you for the help that you're giving to the community, not only in Oregon, but I know through our work together, you are connected through a network of similar organizations all over the country. And I'm sure that that then leads to collaborations even globally. So I know the work that we're doing here in Oregon is certainly not staying in Oregon, um, but you've uh, you've made a sacrifice for yourself and your family in order to do something that you feel is important. And I think it's really commendable that you've chosen to come at it from a place of compassion and not a place of judgment. And you're not trying to tell people what to do. And that's going to make them much more receptive to what it is that you have to say. So on behalf of a lot of people listening, if not everyone, I want to say thank you for that. Thank you so much. 
Thanks so much for listening. You can find all our episodes by searching The David Paul Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, and Spotify. Thanks again, and we'll catch you next time.